This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee on day 46 of the 60-day legislative session where the Senate votes to crack down on violent protests. Rights have limits, and violence is where the line is drawn. And a House committee approves a bill on police standards designed to weed out bad cops. It's a bipartisan effort to promote best law enforcement practices and make them uniform throughout the state. Trust in our public institutions is vital, and none more so than trust in law enforcement. Those two bills are basically the yin and yang of lawmaking in Florida these days. The Senate Appropriations Committee votes to make changes in the unemployment system to increase benefits and make it easier to sign up for help. We increase the weekly benefit amount and the number of weeks available, and we reduce the number of hoops that have a claimant jumping through to claim their benefits. The House votes to repeal the free kill bill by allowing parents of adult children to sue if their child dies from medical malpractice. This provides an almost Givorkian-like incentive, which, if a physician makes an error, it's virtually free to let the patient die, but could be potentially very costly to save them because the living can sue, but of course the dead cannot. The House also passes a bill targeting teachers who commit sexual abuse and avoid punishment by simply resigning. Too often school employees can engage in sexual misconduct with a student and evade any consequences by moving among schools, districts, and employers. We'll also have your calendar of political events and the stories of a Florida man busted for running in the buff and a Florida woman arrested for fraud, not to mention the 170 pounds of pot they found in her bathroom. Must have been stinkweed. But first, a word from the sponsor. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. This public health crisis has shown our one-size-fits-all education system does not meet the needs of every child. Senate Bill 48 rethinks education and provides needed flexibility for students and families, giving students the tools and resources they need to unleash their potential. You can make a difference and improve our education system by visiting fledreform.com to tell your lawmaker to support SB 48. Paid for by Americans Prosperity, Florida. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, April 16th. This is National Librarian Day, National Eggs Benedict Day, and Wear Pajamas to Work Day, which frankly is what a lot of us have been doing over the past year while working from home. On this date in 1962, Walter Cronkite began anchoring the CBS Evening News. Uncle Walter set the standard at the time when most Americans actually trusted the nightly news. The Virginia Tech massacre happened on this date in 2007. The gunman killed 32 people before taking his own life. It was the deadliest mass shooting in modern American history, but has since been eclipsed by the Las Vegas shooting and the massacre at Pulse Nightclub in Orlando. And one year ago today, the COVID unemployment crisis was in full swing as 22 million Americans filed for unemployment in just one month. The state reported 6,762 new cases of COVID Thursday and 74 additional deaths. That is the most fatalities in a day in more than two weeks. It increases our death toll to 34,907. More than 4,700,000 Floridians have now completed the vaccination process. Another half million have had their first shot and are waiting for the second dose. After a long and emotional debate, the Florida Senate approves a bill to put new limits on public protests. Black, Jewish, and gay lawmakers spoke out against House Bill 1. Senator Darrell Rousson says this country was built on protest, and this bill won't change a thing. I was born to protest, and my heroes have been to jail. Martin, Malcolm, Mandela, it won't stop a true protester. It might get him locked up, 
But if it does, I hope he turns that dungeon of shame into a haven of human dignity and freedom. This bill won't stop anything except those who are afraid. I'm not afraid. And in closing, I just want to say to people, keep on knocking, keep on protesting, keep on rising, in spite of an attempt to stifle the voice. Senate Democratic leader Gary Farmer of Broward County says this bill violates your constitutional rights to free speech and freedom of assembly. He says it's a little more than campaign fodder for the governor. We are the Senate. We know the governor wants this piece of legislation. We know that's why it's here. We don't have to do everything the governor wants. Look deep into your heart. Find it in yourself to stand up and vote no for something you don't want to vote for. But the sponsor of the bill, Senator Danny Burgess of Zephyr Hills, says there is a big difference between peaceful protest and what happened last year after a Minneapolis cop killed George Floyd. Rights have limits, and violence is where the line is drawn. This bill is about preventing violence. And what I didn't hear out of any of the testimony today, unfortunately, what you don't hear a lot online, is anybody asking about the victims of the violence, the businesses, the jobs, the livelihoods, the lives, because of the riots, the victims of the violence? An officer was stabbed in the neck in Jacksonville on May 30th. 200 people attempted to set police cars on fire in Jacksonville on May 30th. There were rocks and bricks being thrown at law enforcement and several were injured. On May 30th, police officers' cars were set on fire in Miami, multiple stores were looted, and traffic was completely stopped on a major interstate, I-95. Many officers were injured. A little closer to home in Tampa, 42 law enforcement officers' cars were damaged. Some were set on fire. Five businesses were set on fire and two were torched to the ground, Champ Sports and Saigon Bay. Looting occurred in many stores, and there were multiple injuries for law enforcement officers. That was May 30th in Tampa. There were other instances that occurred across the state. And then there's one that didn't happen in Florida that strikes me and just rocks me to the core every time I think of it. And that's what happened in L.A. when two officers were ambushed and shot in the head while they were sitting in their squad car. Protesters blocked the entrance to the emergency room and shouted, we hope they die. That's what this bill is about. It's not about peaceful protest. It's about law and order. It's about ensuring the voices of the peaceful who are fighting against injustice the right way never are drowned out by those who seek to sow further division, who seek to further pull us apart at a time when I feel like we're further apart than we've ever been in my lifetime. That's what this is about. The bill passed 23 to 17 on a party line vote. 
A bipartisan bill setting new hiring and training standards for police officers clears its first committee in the Florida House. Among other things, it would require anyone applying for law enforcement jobs to disclose if they are subject to pending investigations or if they left prior criminal justice jobs while under investigation. And law enforcement agencies would have to report all use-of-force incidents involving serious bodily injury, deaths, or when firearms are discharged to the Department of Law Enforcement. Representative Cord Bird of Neptune Beach says it's all about restoring trust. Trust in our public institutions is vital, and none more so than trust in law enforcement. And this PCB reflects the work and conversations over many months with and between lawmakers, law enforcement, and citizens as a bipartisan effort to promote best law enforcement practices and make them uniform throughout the state. Byrd's bill is the result of behind-the-scenes negotiations with members of the Legislative Black Caucus, spearheaded by Tampa Representative Ventrice Driscoll. Last summer, in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, the Florida Legislative Black Caucus started to meet. There were protests going on, but we thought about it long and hard because even though protests eventually will fade, they never, you know, protests don't last always. We thought about what could we do in terms of policy? What could we do in terms of, of trying to make positive change? Because we know our law enforcement officers put their lives on the line every single day protecting people. But we also know that communities of color don't always feel policed as fairly and that they feel that lack of trust. So what can we do to try to help bridge that gap? What can we do in terms of policy to try to encourage those relations so that we can see the good that can come from both communities? And I'm very proud of this work product. You know, over the, the course of several months, in having these discussions, we reached out to the law enforcement community. We've been working between our caucuses. And I think that when we can focus on policy in a bipartisan way, this is the result, right? We get to help make our communities safer. We get to lift up our law enforcement community. This is the positive impact that we can have in this, this process. This probably is the most proud day that I've had, certainly serving in, in the Florida House. And I will be up on this bill. If I could vote up on it 100 times, I would. Probably not allowed. Representative Ramon Alexander of Tallahassee says the most important part of the bill is that it will force lawmakers to confront the issue of policing in black and brown communities. You know, you have, you have people that are ideologues and, and a lot of folks that are stuck in their ways. And regardless of what you bring forward, it will never be good enough for them. And, and I think uh, there has to be a level of pragmatism in, in this process as we move forward. Because yelling at each other and going back and forth isn't going to accomplish anything. So I think this is a great place to, uh, to put the ball in position, to continue to have those kind of conversations so that I can better understand your perspective, you can better understand my perspective. And that's one of the things that Chairman Burr, you and I have uh, constantly done throughout this process. We'll have our heated debates, but we'll sit down and we'll say, hey, why do you think this way? And, and I'm, I'm trying to really reach deep down inside to understand where you're coming from. And I think that is what this body should be all about. I'm, I'm excited to be here today and looking forward to see how we even evolve this even more before we move on. Representative Chuck Brennan of McClenney is a retired chief investigator for the Baker County Sheriff's Office, and he believes this bill really will make a difference. Most of these things, these agencies have already been doing, whether it be through the Criminal Justice Standards and Training Commission or the accreditation authorities. So I, too, Representative Alexander, am proud that that everybody sees that every, just about every law enforcement entity represented, the police chiefs, the sheriff's association, the FOP, they all support this. So this is what we need to do. We need to work together. So I hope that this is an enlightening experience to show everybody because the police have gotten such a bad black eye in the last year that they are 
willing to work and willing to do the right thing. And 99.9% of us want to do the right thing. The police reform bill is supported by the Sheriff's Association, the Police Chiefs Association, the Police Benevolent Association, the ACLU, and the NAACP. How's that for threading the needle? The Senate Budget Committee approves two bills to try to fix Florida's unemployment compensation system. One of the bills calls for dumping the old Connect system, moving the entire process to the cloud. The other increases weekly payments by $100 and makes it easier for applicants to navigate the system. State Senator Gary Farmer of Broward says these changes are overdue. We all recognize, we all know that we've had a lot of problems with our unemployment system. Uh, we've already talked about the technology earlier today. This is dealing with the benefits. Uh, and, you know, we've kind of, we've done these amendments, but Bill is also increasing uh, 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 the weekly benefit. Uh, and we're doing some good things on the overall coverage here. So definitely going in the right place. Um, appreciate your work on this, uh, Senator Broder, and uh, glad we're helping the workers of the state of Florida. Senator Linda Stewart of Orlando, whose district has been hit hard by layoffs in the hospitality industry, says they were hoping for more, but it's a good start. The bill does a lot of good things to increase the benefits for unemployed Floridians who are still desperately in need of relief. And, you know, my district represents heavily tourism. So, you know, they, we get a lot of phone calls in my office. Uh, we increase the weekly benefit amount and the number of weeks available, and we reduce the number of hoops that have a claimant jumping through to claim their benefits. We also tie the number of weeks to the current unemployment rate in real time, rather than what the unemployment rate was last September. That will help us provide benefits for Floridians when the economy suffers like it has throughout the past year. Without this bill, Florida ranks dead last in the total benefit provided to unemployed claimants. We're inching our way forward to 47. <laughs> so, I mean, we have to be thankful we're going up and we can't go down any further. Um, so we're moving in the right direction. I'm happy to support anything that provides more benefits to unemployed Floridians. And I'm sure that this bill uh, is going to, you know, at least get us in a much better position than we were last year. The House has a similar bill to move the unemployment system to the cloud, but they've shown very little interest in raising benefits. The House approves a bill designed to keep child abusers from hiding in school systems. Representative Wyman Duggan of Jacksonville says the bad apples of education can game the system by simply resigning to avoid punishment and then finding a new job in another school. House Bill 131 is designed to stop that. Too often school employees can engage in sexual misconduct with a student and evade any consequences by moving among schools, districts, and employers. According to a 2017 study, half of perpetrators had prior allegations of sexual misconduct with students, and one in three had multiple victims. By creating employment screening tools, processes for schools to use when hiring personnel, and prohibiting the employment of perpetrators, we can prevent the further victimization of our children. This bill does the following. It prohibits public, charter, and private schools participating in a state scholarship program from employing perpetrators of sexual misconduct with a student. It creates a duty on employers to report perpetrators for inclusion on the Department of Education's disqualification list. It creates a duty on school administrators to notify parents when school employees are arrested for sexual misconduct or abuse involving a child. And it requires school districts to execute an affidavit of separation that captures the circumstances of a former employee's termination or resignation in lieu of termination. It requires the commissioner to determine probable cause within 90 days of receipt of a legally sufficient complaint against the teacher for sexual misconduct with a student.
And finally, it requires that school districts complete their investigations and determination of sanctions related to misconduct within one year of receipt of a legally sufficient complaint. This is a passion project for me. It came about out of um, a now constituent that I met when I was campaigning. Her child had been uh, sexually abused at school and I promised that if I got elected, I would do everything I can to make sure that this didn't happen to any more children because the perpetrator had done this somewhere else and had changed schools. The bill passed unanimously. The House has also approved a bill allowing parents of an adult child with no spouse or children to sue for wrongful death if their child dies as a result of malpractice or medical neglect. Representative Spencer Roach of North Fort Myers says Florida is the only state in the country that currently prohibits these lawsuits. His bill would eliminate what's known as the free kill bill. House Bill 651 amends Florida's wrongful death statutes to allow parents of an adult child with no surviving spouse or children to recover from mental pain and suffering in a medical malpractice wrongful death claim. Florida's wrongful death statute currently allows adult children and parents of adult children to recover damages in all wrongful death cases with the exception of medical malpractice cases. This provides an almost Gevorkian-like incentive which, if a physician makes an error, it's virtually free to let the patient die but could be potentially very costly to save them because the living can sue but of course the dead cannot. This is why this, this uh, statutory provision has been termed the free kill bill. This means that parents cannot file a claim for the loss of a child over the age of 25 and unmarried. Any person over the age of 25 unmarried for any reason with no minor children is a potential Florida free kill victim. This includes widowed seniors, unmarried childless members of the LGBTQ community, divorced adults with no minor children, physically or mentally disabled adults with no children, this bill would delete this carve out for medical malpractice, wrongful death cases, and restore the value of human life for a parent who lost their child due to medical malpractice. The Medical Association and the Chamber of Commerce do not like this bill. They say it will mean higher medical malpractice insurance premiums. But Representative Evan Jenny of Broward says he made a promise to the mother and sister of a man by the name of Kit Corbin. You see, Kit was born with Down syndrome, but that did nothing to dampen his love, his joy, and his value as a human being. Now, tragically, Kit lost his life to medical negligence. It was, by definition, a wrongful death. But his family, because of the law, they had no legal recourse because Kit was not married and he had no children. So what does this law, as it currently stands on the book, say to Kit's family? That his life had no value? that his life had no meaning? And while we're at it, what about us? How many of us in this chamber right now, myself included, aren't married and don't have children? How many of us? Your family couldn't do anything if this happened to you. So what, do, do our lives, do their lives have no value? And I believe to say anything other than a resounding yes is nothing short of engaging in financial eugenics because someone hasn't been blessed with a family to call their own. The bill passed the House by a vote of 99 to 16 but faces an uncertain future in the state Senate. What's in a name? Well, you might want to put Shakespeare's question to the folks at the Florida Division of Cultural Affairs because Senator Ed Hooper of Pinellas County wants to change their moniker. This is the bill that renames the Division of Cultural Affairs as the Division of Arts and Culture and provides that the Secretary of State will be known as Florida's Chief Arts and Cultural Officer. Senator Audrey Gibson of Jacksonville says the new name sounds better. 
classy even. I want to thank Senator Hooper for this, the classy name change, and it really gives a different flavor to the entire department, and hopefully that classy name will in, in help us to increase more funding in the category. But Senator Jeff Brandis of St. Petersburg is concerned about the acronym for the agency. He says they need better initials. Mr. Chairman, I just think as we think about our title for the chairman, it should be like, you know, we, we should make the acronym spell like cello or some musical <laughs> instrument or some something interesting so that they're, so it's just not like CHOA. Senator Hooper was glad to have their support, but he could not come up with a better acronym. In response to Senator Gibson, the majority of the division grantees are in the arts division, so it is appropriate. And to Senator Brandis, I seriously considered Florhiga, but someone earlier in the day took that acronym, so I got nothing. Allow me to make a suggestion here. The Division of Florida Arts. We can call it DFARTS for short. You're welcome, Senator Brandis. Florida Man and your calendar of events are next on Sunrise. In Florida, if you fall behind on court debt payments, the state takes away your driver's license. But if you can't drive, you can't work. So how can you make enough money to pay the debt? This policy makes no sense. Let's end debt-based license suspensions and help Florida get back to work. Welcome back to the Sunrise Calendar. The House Ways and Means Committee meets at 8.30. The Senate Rules Committee meets at 9. The Board of Speech, Language, Pathology, and Audiology meets at 9. The March unemployment numbers are being released at 10. And the Florida Commission on Ethics meets at 11. A Florida man accused of running naked through the streets of Vero Beach is now wearing a prison jumpsuit. 39-year-old Kevin Russell Ray is at the Indian River County Jail where he's charged with exposure of sexual organs, resisting arrest, and battery on a law enforcement officer. He's being held without bond. Finally today, a Florida woman who does Botox injections at her day job is accused of conning two seniors out of $42,000. 31-year-old Paulette Padilla works as a nurse practitioner at the New U Wellness Center in Coral Gables, and she's charged with organized scheme to defraud. But frankly, that is the least of her worries. When they searched her apartment in Kendall, police say they also found 170 pounds of marijuana stuffed into suitcases that were hidden in the bathroom. That's it for today's installment of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again Monday as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. 